Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, this is Imaginary Advice. Uh, currently, I'm in the middle of shooting a TV program for BBC Two. Um, so, because... Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a 30-minute monologue to camera, which is utterly terrifying. It's also kind of all-consuming. Um, I'm working on it around the clock right now. So... Instead of the usual podcast, uh, as much as there ever is a usual podcast, um, this month I've compiled together some of my most recent poetry. Uh, usually, if I include a poem in a podcast, I try to frame it within like a larger essay or story, you know, so it feels like a like a little dream sequence before re- returning to something a bit more linear. But um, this month... It's just dream sequences back to back. Uh, think of it a bit like a um, like a little poetry chat book where someone has just handed to you in the street and you were just too polite to immediately put it in the bin. You just slipped it into your pocket. You're thinking, well, you know, I'll chuck it later when no one's looking. But then uh, you, you get home and you take off your jacket and uh, the little book just stays in there in your pocket and then the seasons change. And then you move the jacket to a cupboard upstairs. And then by next October, you've got a new coat. This one has tassels. Tassels are very 2018. Giant tassels. Huge, you know, like like the um, like those huge metal incense burners that get swung around at the start of mass. Thuribles, you think they're called. You, you swing them to keep the charcoal burning. You've got to keep it oxygenated. It's an old French word, thurible. Uh, which in turn is derived from the Latin term thurubulum, which is further formed from the root thus, which means incense. And thus is an alteration of the Greek word thuos, which is derived from thuin, which means to sacrifice. And as you sashay around town in your new coat with the giant tassels vaping away, a trail of dense black current smoke snaking over your shoulder. You start to think of yourself as some kind of futuristic hedge priest. The swish of the tassels even sounds like sacrifice, sacrifice as you zigzag the shopping arcade. I mean, who needs a little chapbook of poems in their pocket when you are a poem yourself, you strange, gorgeous twat? Anyone can just force a poem into existence by simply staring too hard at something and then whipping your head around really quickly and headbutting whoever is looking over your shoulder. Boom, you made a poem. No need to even pick up a pen. Do you remember the video game Dune? It was set on Mars where a mining facility had opened the gate to hell in order to find the, the limitless energy of the demonic plane. In the game, right, they call that hell energy Argent. You know, like... French for money, like all money, is actually hell energy from Mars. It makes you think about capitalism, doesn't it? Advice. Attention. Attention. This rectangle is blue. Please pay attention to the blue rectangle. You will naturally feel drawn towards it. Blue rectangles are a great source of energy, like Blue Lagoon cocktails, or the Blues Brothers, 
on Blu-ray. Both excellent blue rectangles, both cool and yet simultaneously high-spirited. Such is the paradox of the blue oblong, the relaxed vibrancy, the calming violence, the perfectly chilled out absolute fucking nightmare that is every public swimming pool. The alternating current of incandescent blue slips through our fingers like water. Skyscrapers look like upright swimming pools, the people floating in them, effortless, poetic. And yet, go beneath the surface, lots of people swearing at each other, getting sacked, etc. G4S security vans driving around town in their big four-wheeled ultramarine boxes kicking back and taking the money. Isn't that what we all want from a swimming pool? Nothing communicates the paradox of blue rectangles more than a highly successful security company with a notorious human rights record. Life-threatening protection. Professional negligence. They are to security what Bermuda shorts are to trousers. I remember my old Commodore 64 computer, how, when loading a game, the screen would turn blue with a light blue border, as if a swimming pool was the universal symbol of patience, a calm before the alien storm. Artist Eve Klein invented his own shade of blue, over 200 paintings of empty blue rectangles. He claimed every rectangle had its own spirit and sold each one for a different price. Zones of immaterial space disengaged from functional jurisdiction. The Tate Modern website claims this shade of blue is impossible to render on a computer monitor. The Facebook logo is essentially a swimming pool with a white person in it taking up all the room. Blue is the colour we escape to when we give up on all the rest of the colours, only to discover that everyone else had exactly the same idea. teller home with you it was Friday after work you said you'd found him eating out of a bin behind the betting shop he's a fortune teller you said he could tell us the future yes said the fortune teller I will your face lit up see he's doing it already put the fortune teller up in the spare room. The landing started to smell of his cologne, lemon juice and brick dust. The fortune teller set up his equipment at the breakfast table. Every morning he told us what was about to happen. You gave him the password for your Google calendar. I don't want to leave anything to chance, you said. 
Don't worry, said the fortune teller. You won't. From behind, the fortune teller's head looked like a cannonball. I made explody noises whenever I saw it, like One morning, I found my car tyres slashed. Funny, you said. The fortune teller predicted that would happen. One night, you went to the racetrack. Just you and the fortune teller. He won enough money to buy you dinner. You sent me a text saying you'd be home late. Around midnight, you still weren't back. I knew you would have expected a text from me, something like, where are you? Or, I miss you. And then later on, you would have expected more desperate messages, like, I'm really worried, please call. Or, fuck you. The fortune teller would have predicted all of this. He would have known that such a thing was certain to happen. So I did none of it. Instead, I just texted you, some random emoticons. Snowman, pirate, Spock hand, top hat, top hat. No way you could have predicted that, the bald wanker. I spent the rest of the night teaching myself to move unexpectedly. I fell over at randomised intervals, walked backwards around the garden, blurting my new made-up language. I swapped the furniture in every room. I slept on the chair, ate on the bed. Deep down, I knew you were never coming home again. No matter how hard I tried to stop, I too was learning to see the future. I stick a salt water tank on the back of my truck and drive my octopus around the city of Cambridge. Down King's Parade, Market Square, past vintage bookshops, the delivery entrance of Dixon's. Me and the first octopus on earth to ever see the spires of Corpus Christi. We crawl past picture book parks, cyclists weaving diagrams around us. My octopus has never known the sun to burn so bright and yet so cold. His huge eyes rotating, taking in every dog, every girl raising a crisp to her mouth, every medieval crack and splinter. I toot my horn. He waves at pedestrians. Cambridge loves you, baby. You're unscrewing this city like a jam jar. He salutes me. But I know the deal. I know... If he wanted, 
He could sucker off over those high campus walls. He could squeeze through a fissure no bigger than a thumb and be gone, absorbed into the colleges. Beyond those black turrets where teenagers dream in a dead language. Beyond those ancient refectories, past suits of armour, in the studies once paced by Charles Babbage. Rearranging those blue plaques like shells in his cave, designing some kind of brand new historical assembly, he'd be Dean of Peterhouse by Christmas. I go to turn left on the Trumpington Street. For a second we lock eyes. I turn off the indicator. Mill Lane it is there. the arrogance of the octopus that seduces us. All action in all directions. A story made entirely of twists. Who wouldn't want to follow behind us? Our path reminiscent of the ancient river that cut this city in two. This endless, unquestionable life force that every student relies upon to make them feel utterly stupid. Dear telepath, here at my makeshift bureau, I'm trying my hand at a picture book about clouds that hang above airports. The book is set in June 2004. You can't hear the polyphonic ringtones, but they're there all right. Things are pretty samey round here. The lake is a bit greener. The antique shops have closed. We get the hunting channel now. I just wanted to thank you for the box of broken joysticks. It's the kind of thing only you would think of. No one has seen you since Jim's party when you took apart the swimming pool to see how it worked. You looked so beautiful thrashing about in the water, the sky full of Welsh thunder. Some of those clouds have won awards. Whenever I think of you at night, I know you're tuning in, sitting there in your house with its see-through walls, glass hedgerows, all of suburbia cut through into cross-sections. I try to imagine the shape of my thoughts, in the hope that the feedback loop boosts the signal. Your police reports are inadmissible. You burn toast. You sold your best painting to a knob and you know it. I hope that makes you feel a little less special. This town is full of kids from unaired pilots who sandbag their personality tests and I'm sorry. I think you were the only person who knew what I was trying to do, opposed to what I actually did. Mm-hmm.
On the way back from my latest murder, I pause on the bridge to marvel at the possibility that I, Ross G. Sutherland, may never be held accountable for my crimes. Despite the near constant references to them in my poetry, the names of my murder victims disclosed in full with burial locations and instruments of death. In my early work, I placed a red object in the still life of each poem to telegraph my latest atrocity. An Irish setter by the fire, a chilli discovered on a mahogany floor, Ryan Giggs eating a Kit Kat. Each poem fitted with a pressure trigger, ready to pop should the poem be critiqued and spill its fetid cargo. My poem about a hot air balloon in Somerset, published in Views 2012, could be reversed like a sports jacket to reveal a confession about throwing a postman off a viaduct. I gave up on metaphor when winter came. The ground was too hard. My voice gained a new sincerity. These days, I plainly describe my homicides to groups of serious young men and women at the Old Poetry Festival. Here's another one, I say, about a guy I killed in cold blood. After readings, I move to the door to wait for police, occasionally selling a book or two. Each sale, I presume, will be the last. On the flyleaf, I write, Dear reader, I wanted to stop so many times, but why the fuck should I do the critic's job for them? Thank God it is finally over. Yet it never is. I hate my audience for not picking up on all these murders. But murdering them directly would still be cheating. I think we can all agree on that. At night, after my reading, I walk the seafront between vast black hotels that shrink and expand with the moon. I am shit at skimming stones, but I like to do so anyway. Sometimes, I hear a police siren. It sounds like an old woman shouting, clever, 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 slowly fading into the hills. Oh, Mr. In fancy clothes, I ain't taking.
is um, that's all from the podcast this week. Uh, normal service will resume next month. Uh, you can buy books of my poetry, believe it or not. I have uh, four collections published by Pend in the Margins. Things to do before you leave town, 12 nudes, emergency window, and Hayakaretsu Kayaku. If you buy all four books and decipher the secret messages within each one and then put all that information together, you'll find the GPS location of my buried treasure. I know that people say that poetry is not a riddle or a secret code and there is no definitive interpretation of a poem, but those people just don't want you to find my doubloons. Okay, look, if we're being honest, there is no actual treasure. If you go to that location, though, um, you will just find the corpse of the real Ross Sutherland who I replaced in 2001. Anyway, if you just go to the Pend in the Margins website, that's www.pendinthemargins, or one word, .co.uk, uh, uh, you can buy the books uh, direct. Um, I'm also going to be doing a Imaginary Advice live uh, in London on October the 12th at Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. Um, I think we're just going to sell tickets on the door rather than do advanced tickets. Uh, so it's going to cost £7. The show starts at 8.15. We're probably going to open the venue at about 7.30. So if you just rock up on the door, um, you should be fine. Uh, it's, it's partially a fundraiser for the podcast, something to help me balance the books a bit. And it's also uh, a bit of a birthday party. It's going to be three years uh, since the start of the podcast so I thought it might be nice to throw something as well as a new piece for me we're going to have sets from Joe Dunthorne and Chris Hicks both recently featured writers on the podcast and we're going to have an extra special guest as well there should be more on that next episode I hope so that day again that's October the 12th at Bethnal Green Working Men's Club so I hope to see you then um, by the time that I record the next episode of this uh, I will have done that tv show i guess so okay well i'll let you know how it goes uh till next time anyway uh my name is ross sutherland thanks for listening